Future Proof Podcast. Future Proof Podcast. Redefining the relationship between you and your money. This is the Future Proof Podcast. The Future Proof Podcast, hosted by Jam Supernova. Hello and welcome to the Future Proof Podcast, where our aim is to redefine the relationship between you and your money. I'm Jam Supernova, and each episode I'm here hosting a discussion to dig deeper into the issues we all face with our finances. So today we're asking the question, how can you survive as a working parent? And I'm joined by experts Alex Holder and Remy Sade. Alex Holder is a freelance writer and consultant who's written for El Grazia, Refinery29 and The Guardian. Plus she's wrote a book called Open Up the Power of Talking About Money and a campaign against the gender pay gap which went viral and changed the actual law alex holder welcome hey yes thanks for having me superwoman number one superwoman number two is remy Sade, also a woman of many talents a writer who's written her first book finished and wrapped it up in may yes girl <laughs> host and founder of podcast make motherhood diverse co-host on the podcast all right from mom occasionally on some panels and sometimes on your radio welcome remy Sade. hello so alongside that amazing sort of all that amazing checklist of all the things that you guys do both of you are mothers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I feel like on paper to me, looking at that, reading that and knowing that your mother's as well as someone that doesn't have a child is mind blowing. Like I'm like, boy, I need to go. If I, if I ain't productive when I leave here, something is definitely up. But um, yeah, it feels like you are smashing it at life. And I know that, you know, sort of what you see on paper, what you see on the gram and what you see on Twitter isn't the real life. And we're discussing you know, how to survive as a working parent. I want to get in your finances. I want your tips and I want your real life experiences. So let's go back before we go forward. Um, when you guys first had your children, where were you in life socially, financially? We'll start with you, Alex. Okay. I was 31. My son was planned, but I was very, very naive about what it meant to be a mum. I had like pockets of my life really sorted. So on paper, my career looked great. I was partnering in an advertising agency, um, you know, so so called kind of smashing it at work. Mm -hmm. But I was a bit of a workaholic. I was definitely a party girl. And I suddenly went found out I was pregnant and realised that you can't really be a workaholic or a party girl and a mum. So I had to kind of shift things about. But also, the mad thing is, I was 31, yeah, which is the average age to have a kid in the UK, but I was the only person out of all my friends. I'm still one of the few people nearly four years later. Like, it felt quite rebellious at that time in the kind of circles I was moving in. And what about you, Remy? Um, so my life was just I would say one year off of being a mess so <laughs> the year before I had my daughter was like shambles um I was in uni I was also at the time a long-term relationship but I was in uni I was living in my flat the flat that I still live in um but I was figuring out life and she was very unplanned and <laughs> so when I found out I was pregnant I didn't know what I was going to do socially. Um, I was in a good space. I've had quite long-term friendships, which has been really helpful. Um, and they have basically helped me raise my child from the day I found out I was pregnant, which is really solid and brilliant. And they don't have children, which is something that obviously you have as well, Alex. But for me, I think it's selfishly very helpful that they don't have children because when you do have children, they become your world and they take up a lot of your time. And so my and friends... help. Yeah, my <laughs> friends have just helped me Live with my child village. yeah <laughs> yeah they exactly they've been my village I would say our village is vast and deep and wide and I'm very appreciative of it 
I find like when, um, I don't know, so you just sort of see it on TV or even conversations you might have had in the past. Um, like I, for example, had very young parents. So um, my mum would be like, make sure that when you, you know, when you want to have a child, you can afford it. You know, you know, sort of drilled into me, you need to be able to afford to have a child. And then when your friends get pregnant around you, you know, you'll be talking about how you're going to do it, how you're going to make it work financially. Did you guys feel like financially you were able to make it work at that point? No. I was the girl that your parents were talking about and your friends were like, how are you going to manage? I am, or not now, but I was that girl. Financially, I knew that if I dropped out of uni, I wouldn't actually be able to afford my child, which is wild. But um, that was, yeah, I just knew I had to stay in uni. So I went to uni until I was nine months pregnant. And then I went back when she was four months old. And eventually I did drop out. But And me- you stayed for the... Because you knew you'd get a student loan if you were staying in Yeah, I knew that if I... So I, like, did all my... I did exams and I had to take some time off and I missed some exams. And then I went back during the summer break and did exams during, like, the period the people who failed to their exams. And I made sure and I I literally powered through. Um, What was it like then being pregnant and being at uni at the same time? Do you know, it was was interesting. So I actually did my A-levels independently when I was 21 or 20... Yeah, 21 anyway. So I was already a quote-unquote mature student but because I'd left home so young anyway for me I felt like it was the first time that I was financially stable in my life and so going to uni being pregnant it was just like another thing that set me apart from like the 18 year old party kids whose parents were like funding their life in some ways it was a bit difficult because I used to think about things like paying a hundred and odd pounds per month for travel to go to uni and thinking when my baby comes am I going to have to decide between something for her and my education and I did and I chose her of course Mm. but I it wasn't a lack of because during that time I created a new avenue for myself in terms of my career and I would have never done like that list that you read out is all post baby and surprisingly your life doesn't end when you have a baby and you're broken you're young and so for me it was really positive because I probably wanted to be a writer when I was a kid and then I was like it's a pipeline dream and girls like me don't get to do things like that especially with my socioeconomic foundation and then I had a baby And I hit rock bottom and I was like, well, the only way is up. I got nothing to lose. My kid needs me. And it would be great if she was proud of me, but it would be even greater if I was proud of me too. And so I decided to try and see what happened. And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, were you financially prepared? I, um, I had a good job and a good salary. So in that sense, I was, you know, you know, I had a, I was renting a two bed flat in East London. We were fine. What was amazing is when I told people we were pregnant, they'd go, but where are you going to live? And I'm like, in the flat we live in? Like, it's perfectly functioning. Um, it's amazing that people think that you're, you've got to immediately change your whole life or the life you have isn't going to work once you have a kid in it. Um, but I didn't have any savings, didn't have, you know, any assets. And I did realise, actually, that my whole life was built on depending on this, like, big salary hitting my bank account each month. And when I took maternity, I kind of realised that that... When, well, when I went back after maternity... I realised that it felt quite impossible to do this huge job and have a mm. and have a kid and see him occasionally. Yeah, what was the, some of the challenges then when you kind of stepped back into the office? So I went back full-time immediately at six months, so five days a week, which I think was a mistake. But at the time, I wanted to prove to everyone that, no, I'm just going to come straight back. You know, I, I don't need to do that easing in thing that other mums do. I, I actually realised how judgmental of 
other mums I'd been because I'd obviously absorbed that actually there was a lot of prejudice towards working mums and there was a lot of prejudice towards the mums that left the office slightly early or felt like they needed any special treatment. Yet the thing is, it's not special treatment. It's just making, you know, it's called flexible working and it's, yeah, we, we most workplaces need to get much better at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it should be real life. Yeah. yeah. I definitely judged other mums for Did things. Did you as well? Yeah, I mean, I thought I was going to be this like, super hippie earth mother there's nothing wrong with that but like I couldn't even afford it <laughs> and, like, I was like I'm gonna do all of these things and I'm gonna parent her in a certain way and you know I'm not gonna drop out of university because that means that she's gonna have a rubbish life and I'm not gonna have a career and I'm gonna set her up for failure and I read all of these statistics about children who are born to people who are on lower incomes or under a certain age or from a certain I think minority living in this country, I mean. And so I was like, she's already at X, Y, Z disadvantages. I'm not going to add to that. So it's my duty to make sure that I do everything I can for her to excel. And I think that I fulfilled most of those stereotypes, but also broke some other barriers and boundaries that I didn't even know were there. And it's interesting to look back on the woman I was when I became a mum because she's not here anymore and I'm so glad she's not mm. because the woman that I'm raising won't be who she could have been and that also kind of makes it, like it makes sense to me in a weird way. I want to kind of touch on when you said uh, kind of being at like rock bottom and kind of well, well, the only, well the only way is up like financially mm. rock bottom but the only way is up. So how did then having a child then change your relationship with how you thought about money? Um, <laughs> so because I left home at 17, I knew what it was to be poor, but I wasn't fearful of being poor because that was my entrance into adulthood at 17, which I wasn't an adult anyway. And so I just promised myself I'd never go back there, but I didn't have a plan as to how. There was no safety net. And part of that safety net was because I couldn't have a safety net. So I was always chasing the next job. And my friends and I used to have this running joke. Like, I was the kind of girl who would quit a job today and by 4pm tomorrow I'd have a new job. And they'd be like, how have you managed to do that? And it was like, well, I have bills to pay. And so from such a young age, I knew that I had somewhat of a work ethic. But I always felt like I was not doing enough. And then... When I decided to go backpacking, I had to save for the first time and I learned what it meant to save for something. And I'd never felt like that since I went backpacking because I was like, I really want to do this thing. And my counterparts do it with the support, financial support of their families and and or like the odd job. But that was the only thing that was supporting me, plus also all of my bills and all of my um, responsibilities. And then... I never felt like that again until I had found out I was pregnant. But it was it was like consuming and I would stay awake at night, literally stay awake at night and count up how much money I was going to have for the whole year. It was like, but, you know, things change and things did change. And when I became a single parent, my finances took a huge plunder. And when I had become a single parent, it was the first time in my life I'd ever had proper savings. Not saving for something, but just savings. And thank goodness I had them because we survived on them for about six months. Wow. And I was very judgmental of single mums who couldn't figure it out, in my opinion. Like, you've had a baby, you've gone into, like, you've, you know, relationships ended or you find yourself in this situation, but you have to figure it out quickly. And when I found myself there, mentally it was really hard as well because it was like, like I said to you before, I had all of these plans for how I was going to raise my child and what I was going to do. A lot of that revolved around finances 
And it was based on the fact that I was going to get a degree. So by the time she was three, so the age she is now, she's nearly three. By this time, I would have been graduating university and I was going to walk into some corporate job and my kid was going to go to school. And it was all based around the, the financial expectations that I had of our life. And then I became a single parent and then I had to drop out of uni because I didn't have childcare and childcare in this city is wild. And so the rock bottom wasn't just financial, but it was the fact that because I had a lack of finances, our whole life as I had planned it was no more. And so, yeah, that was that was interesting. And Alex, you know, you said you, you know, had a good job and on paper, like, you know, you're doing really well um, and then taking a pay cut. But whilst you're being a parent at the same time. So how did your relationship with money change? So when I had my son and went back and realised there was like these four days where I hadn't seen him awake. Every time I'd come home, he'd already been put to bed. And what really happened for me was my relationship with time changed. And that's what changed my relationship with money. So no longer did I want to spend 12 hours a day 12 hours a day doing something that I didn't what you know I, I didn't respect the industry I was in any longer I wasn't enjoying my days I didn't necessarily want to be full-time with my son either I wasn't you know I don't think I'm built for being a stay-at-home mum but um I knew that I yeah I wanted to go to work really enjoy my day at work and still come home and have time to be with him and that's why I went freelance which meant when I actually quit my job I didn't have a job to go to I you know, I just kind of knew I couldn't do it any longer and almost had to. But like you like you quit your job, you're good. Something else will come along and you have to have that belief. And did you have savings? Um, I didn't have any savings, but I knew that I was going to quit and have two more months, like work out my notice period. I overnight learned what a budget was overnight, like rehauled my whole finances I mean, I was spending ridiculously up until that point, you know, Ubers everywhere, Deliveroo, because I always felt like I had didn't have time to do anything. I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to get there. You know, I didn't even wash clothes. I'd just go and buy a new outfit. I was I was earning six figures. It was good. But the money, I didn't ever have anything to show for it at the end of the month. And that night when I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I can do this job anymore. Oh, I'm not going to have a wage anymore. Realised I could save four grand by the time I left work and I did that and then I was like right well that's a couple of months money going forward and that's how we worked and then Can you tell me a little bit about the budget that you over, overnight <laughs> I was thinking, based yeah. on your numbers I didn't have savings I had like two uh, weeks worth of totally. <laughs> and it's all, and it's all relative yeah, it's relatively. all to I had you know I'd signed a 12 month contract yeah. on a flat that um, my rent was a stupid amount it was like mm. just over two grand a month there was lots of things that I was like in deep in terms of mm. what I was having to pay because that's what you do when you get a salary you often just more like money, more, more money yeah mm. and it just kind of easy come easy go like money came into my account but it just went straight back out yeah. and having a spending plan which is another word for a budget made me really respect money and since then and it's how what led me to writing a book about why I think we should talk about it just kind of really facing my finances made me like I say respect money in a whole new way and just, and I guess it was enjoyable to know that I could cut, like, cut down the stupid liabilities that my life had become, like a leaky bucket is what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And the way I budgeted was just looked at what is the bare essential we can survive on. And then every day that I did that, I'd feel like I gave myself my own little kind of gold star. Yeah. And what about you? What did your budget look like, Remy? And how did you kind of break it up? Low. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that um, was the first to go was the way I ate. Because being a new mum, especially breastfeeding, 
you always have you feel like you always have to or not all new ones but I felt like I always had to make sure I was eating good food and replenished and eating whole meals as well um and I didn't want to cook that much but I live near a really cool market and so I learned how to feed my family for like 10 pounds for a week um and make three dishes out of like one chicken and freeze things and so it made me be quite resourceful um and then I'd say another thing was I wouldn't say my friendships changed at all but I would definitely say that the the um nature of them changed the logistics of our friendships changed and it got to a point where it was like if you're not babysitting I probably won't see you because I have to try and make sure that I'm being productive and I'm obviously I was writing quite a lot as well or you know like we can hang out at my house or I can come to your house or we can go to a park for free in the summertime um but I actually can't afford to go and have lunch with you and spend 20 or 30 pounds on a meal because you know, my daughter's nappies are like five pounds. It sounds like you mean you both hustlers, right? I think that's a good word. You both hustle I really hard. I think becoming hard. a mum made me a hustler. Yeah. So I, I, before, maybe I just used to plod along. You know, I had a, quite a nine to five job, so to speak. But it's only since I've taken more risks since becoming a mum than before. I think becoming a mum in itself is a risk. You have a whole yeah. human to look after. Yeah. And fingers crossed you don't get it wrong after that. It's like, okay. So what about then finding the balance between being like, right, I need to go out and grab this opportunity. Um, I'm also, you know, you need to come home and, and, and be a mother as well. How, you know, I think that balance is like so cliche. How do you find the balance? But how do you find the balance? Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, what my son is in childcare four days a week that kind of works out. I have Fridays with him. Sometimes I put him in nursery on a Friday if I've got a bit more work to do than I'd like. Um, but, you know, when you're freelancing, and I think lots of people have this, is this scarcity mindset that you're never going to work again. So you never want to say no to any <laughs> contract that comes in. And I've I've got to get better at that because I am probably like, um, you know, I see my son when I pick him up at five and then I'll, he goes to bed at like just after seven and I'm back on my laptop and I, that's not exactly the dream, you know, freelance scenario right now. How about you? I mean, the, it's, it's unbalanced. Um, but I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. And I don't mind it because I don't go out to work often, but I built a career from my phone and my laptop while my baby was asleep because I didn't have childcare to go to work during the daytime and to make an opportunity for our life during the daytime. So, yeah, I mean, it's really unbalanced and I hope that she appreciates it because in the same regard, I have so many people in my life who have to go to work because that's how they make ends meet. And I'm privileged that my daughter's nearly three and I've been able to stay at home with her. And I know a lot of people look at that as possibly a negative thing or they say, you know, you're a stay-at-home mum and there's kind of no in-between. But I'm a stay-at-home mum most of the time who's also working I'm a working stay-at-home mum. It's a really different, I guess it's a different niche of parenting. But the point and that needs to be talked about, I've not heard that before, a working stay-at-home mum. It's yeah. great. It's got a good ring to it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a working mum and I wouldn't say I'm a stay-at-home mum. Also because my work isn't necessarily always payment. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always. And it's opportunities as well and experiences. I just went to Devon with my daughter Um and she got to come with me and we worked by like she got to run around on the beach while I went and learned to surf. That isn't really what you call a job, but that that was the job. 
and then to post some pictures on a social media app that I would have used anyway for my like free friends. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So the idea of being a working stay-at-home mum for me is something that I'm quite proud of actually. Yeah. And also people ask us to do cool things. I want to bring it round to some practical um, tips that you would give. You're both working parents, as we've both you know, we've been discussing. So what practical tips would you give um, to someone that's listening? You know, they're worried, they're thinking, okay, I want to have a child, I want to start a family, um, but how am I going to survive as a parent and still work? What sort of tips would you give? You can't afford it. Even, like, you just can't. Okay. Just, <laughs> don't, even, <laughs> yeah. like, don't even think about the cost because, like you said, it's relative. So... Your lifestyle, you're going to think about that your potential hypothetical child in your current lifestyle. You can't afford that child. When when you start thinking about it too long, just don't think about it. Um, and, you know, you said that you'd plan for your baby, but there are things that you still can't plan. I mean, you can plan for certain things, but there are things you still can't mm-hmm. plan for. So I think you, it's one of those things that I wouldn't say just throw yourself into it, but loosen up your expectations a little bit. Um and don't replace them with anything else that you think is a bit more relaxed. Just don't replace them at all. And still, parenthood will surprise you because everything does. And what about when you are an, are the parent? You're a parent now. I think there's... um and Remy, I love hearing you speak about being a single parent. I think within a couple, there's a really um, difficult thing to manage because often when you have a kid, one of you takes time off work. So the kind of financial dynamic between two people really shifts. And if you're the person that's given up your wage or, you know, you're the person that's at home with the child, then you in that relationship don't have financial autonomy. And I think I see lots of couples really trip up on this because if you don't have financial autonomy, that's a point where you can can be controlled. I'm not saying every relationship ends up, you know, that you're going to be controlled if you go off on maternity leave. But if you don't feel like you have freedom or are able to do the things you want or plan your, for your future in the way that your partner can and you've had this child together then I think that is a dangerous position to be in so I'd say be really careful of that and really like plan to how you're going to work out finances together and what it's going to mean if you're the person that's not earning for six months or a that. year I think that's a brilliant point to I actually agree. bring up because I just remember um, hearing, hearing an older couple speaking and um, they were like what's the, what's the tip they were like you know if we could give you one tip for your, for your current relationship it'd be like don't ever get a joint bank account and then she was like no because that's whenever I asked you for money you wouldn't give me money and he was like well I was the one that was going out to work and she was like well I needed nappies and it's like you know one person that goes out to work might not understand the budgeting of why you, those, why you need that amount and what you're going to spend it on to them it's like well you've asked me for money it's again really hard to see both sides like yeah. if you're the person at work it looks like the other the other job looks easy and if you're the person at home yeah. going out to work looks a damn sight easier and I think you know we're three w- women sat in this room right now unfortunately women do more of the childcare this is statistically I'm not generalising they all do it but do more of the childcare they do Remem- more of the emotional labour remembering yeah they you know they do more of the care work of the rest of their family they live longer and it's women who often end up in worse financial positions through having a family and raising a family. Financial autonomy is so important because even when I had very little money, it was just mine and I was able to plan for my household by myself. And I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that all people should become single. In fact, no, don't do that. Like (laughs) try and, you know, stick through whatever it is that you're dealing with. But financial autonomy is power. 
It is power. Yeah. I got a therapist after I became a single parent. So I took me and my depressed self to a therapist because I decided that that was something that I needed to be able to afford. So to each of you, what does financial autonomy mean? Well, how would you break it down? Being able to afford my sanity. <laughs> getting a therapist like that was the only thing I really really wanted to make sure I wasn't like losing my marbles but that was just because I had PND and that and PND wasn't a conversation that I really wanted to be a part of postnatal de- yeah postnatal depression that wasn't a conversation I wanted to be a part of my friends didn't even have kids so even my friends who did experience mental health issues their triggers were very different my triggers were like can I afford my child's life and oh my gosh, I brought her into this world and I owe her so much. And it was a lot of pressure that I put on myself, not even external pressures. When I finally was able to budget, my autonomy was my sanity because that was going to allow me to be creative and it was going to allow me to plan for the 18 hour days that I was going to be doing or more, sometimes 20 hour days. If I was only getting four hours of sleep, I needed to know that I was going to be sane for the 20 hours I was awake and structured and organized. Um, and when I didn't have, when I you know, recovered from postnatal depression, I still wanted to continue to have a therapist because I didn't have a second adult in my household to just sound things out. Alex, financial autonomy is being able to make your own decisions about the work you do, you know, where you where you live, the food you eat. And so for me, it's, yeah, being able to, make choices for me and my family about where I'm yeah the work I do and where we're going to live and all those things and not having someone else make those decisions for me even if they were my partner and I really like that you brought brought up that you know this, what we kind of got here was the fact that you sort of talking about that and the and the dynamics between having a partner and uh, what was the kind of direct impacts that you both sort of dealt with and how did you get through it we realized we had to talk about money a lot more so I mean, childcare, Remy's already said, it's wild in London. It's so my, wild out there. <laughs> it really is. So my childcare um, was over a grand a month until recently when I got a few more hours free now because he's over three and it's about £650 a month, which is a, is a lot and that's Friends. not full time. Uh, we have, me and my partner, we don't have a joint account, uh, but we do because we're both freelance. I'd say we sit down every other week, at least every two weeks and talk about what money have you got coming in? This is what I've got coming in. What might be coming up that's going to be a struggle? Are we going to make rent this month? What are we going to do if we're not? You know, we have those conversations. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's basically made us, we can't think about having a baby or having a kid. You can't hide from your finances anymore. And do you I have hate any... talking about money, though. Yeah, and then we're, <laughs> and we're on a podcast where it's all about money. Um, any life hacks then, like, you know, um, instead of, like, thinking that you need to buy this, buy this, or is, uh, you know, well, do you talking share about talking. Well, I think, first of all, really watch your spending triggers because there's so much pressure put on new parents to bring so much crap into their houses and have certain named things and certain brands. I even like, you know, I'll be on the bus with my son and you'll see that different kids will have different packets of crisps and they cost wildly different things. So like a packet of Watsits versus like organics. They are the same thing ultimately. They're just, one is a status symbol of I can afford this and I want to be this kind of parent. It's not, you're not actually giving your kid a better snack by giving them organics. So I'd really watch about all the like subliminal pressures that you're taking on and then the other thing is talk go and ask ask other mums how are you making it work because also there's so many hidden things I do I didn't find it really obvious like what was available 
to me from the government or what is available in terms of like childcare or free hours or tax credits or benefits. And I think you need to chat to other mums. Like, how are you making it work? And they might say, oh, I've got a really rich husband. And then you go, okay, well, that's not that, <laughs> not that helpful. But talk about money to people. It's amazing what you, that's how we educate each other. It's so interesting because when I was in Devon, I was with a bunch of mums and we were all talking about, because we're all part of this parenting industry and we were talking about um, our opinions of things and the way things have changed. And I said, you know what motherhood made me realise? You can sell anything to a woman with a baby under six months, anything. At 2am, anything. When she's changing that nappy, anything that you put on your social media, you can sell it to her. And if you don't sell it to her, two of her friends will buy it because she'll be just mention it in passing. And somebody will, it's the most mentally vulnerable Mm -hmm. stage, in my opinion, and for me, definitely it was, most mentally vulnerable stage of parenthood. I think it's under six months because they're, for a new parent as well, like on their first child, because there's this um, unknowing and somebody will tell you, like, I will sell you this spoon and it will teach your kid how to speak Mandarin and it will make them a genius. And somebody somewhere will buy it. And it's really, un- I think it's really like, on vulnerability, though. unfair. Yeah. I actually think, but I've, I've realised, you know, the amount of things I put on my Amazon wishes that I didn't need. I put like a food processor by a really well-known company that essentially was the same as the adult food processor, but it cost just a little bit more and it did nothing different. And I ended up never opening up that box. Alex, you mentioned about not knowing what the government, what you're entitled to from the government. Like, what do you guys know now? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I, don't, I think childcare is a big thing. Like, you can get a lot of support around childcare. I learned a lot being a student parent, actually, um, because you are given extra funding being in higher education and being a parent and it cuts the cost of your childcare a whole lot and that's if you have a child at any age long before your child is I think it's three Mm -hmm. they get three hours so long before then um and then there are also like bursaries and there are basically everyone's yeah most people are entitled to child benefit I think like only the top 20% earning bracket are excluded from that um benefits aren't forever as well if you do end up in a position where you have to go on benefits it's not forever and you can you can work your way out of a situation um that's not to say that it isn't demoralizing because it it is and it's sometimes you know you feel embarrassed or ashamed and it's something you don't want to discuss i think also you've like you said talking to parents is important also you don't have to discuss everything i know that a lot of shame comes from the fact that you're just like, what if people know? Just don't tell them. Like, when it's just you and your family. But if you feel like you've got... If not telling them, doesn't that kind of harbour more shame? I'm not saying everyone should have to wear their absolute financial truths on their shirts, but I wish there was more honesty. So I think there's a stat where in any f- a group of five friends, two of them will be getting into debt to kind of just to socialise with each other. Mm. That, that's mad. And... I've always experienced that whenever someone's gone, I can't afford to do that. There's like a collective sigh of relief. Yeah, I've always found that. I've definitely found that when I first started coming into this industry and going into these really nice places and the wine, we spoke about the nine pound glasses of wine. I was like, I can't afford that. Um, But at the same time, I never exposed how poor we were. Now I'll talk about it because we're not in that position anymore. And do you have... So in retrospect, you feel like you can talk about it. But have you ever did... I, I mean, in talking my close about friends it, were you? aware 
because I had to borrow money off of them so they knew. Um, and I didn't feel, I trusted them. But I think it's hard to have mm. a conversation that open and vulnerable with people who you might not necessarily feel. No, I think that's feel. a really good point. When I talk about, I think, I believe people should be able to be honest and open about money, but in places they feel safe Second, and with yeah. people they trust. And when you're launching a career, especially as a parent, parenting comes with a whole bucket of judgment and no matter how progressive we are as parents there are other parents who aren't as progressive and who are judgmental and who do have strong opinions yeah. and when you're trying to sell yourself or a product you don't necessarily want to alienate the people who are going to help you make your rent that month because it is that black and white sometimes it is literally this is going to help me to provide for my family or potentially we might be homeless and when it's that kind of um, stark differences some things are better left unsaid I wouldn't say hidden mm -hmm. but you know have that conversation at a later no, date you. we're talking about a safe space where you should be able to speak about your money and be very vulnerable and very open should really be the bank if you're safe you're isolated and you don't you know maybe you don't have a great friendship group and maybe you don't have friends through the internet or anything like that is the bank a safe place are they giving the right advice no they don't give any advice I find that financial institutions, banks, whenever they talk to customers, they presume, um, I think they often presume people have more knowledge than they do. I think a lot of that information is really shrouded or um, it's very hard to work through what they're actually saying. It's quite opaque. Yeah, they don't use layman's terms. No, I think they're often trying to sell a product and products often cost you money. And by a product, it's generally a loan, a credit card, an overdraft, a mortgage. Maybe there might be savings accounts and investments, but generally a lot of the products they're selling will cost you money and interest. So I find, I'm not saying all banks are bad, but um, I have never been to a bank for information and felt like I've left never. empowered. Would you sort of investigate, I guess, maybe looking at like, uh, you know, like being kind of like savvy app wise and like well, there's, smart banking? Um, there's one yeah, huge tip that I just think everyone needs to do, which is bank digitally, because you need to see your money and you need to see your money every day. And so you should have your banking app should be there on your home screen. that You can at the touch of the button, see what you've spent that day, how much that bus just cost you, how much you're spending on coffee. And especially if, if it's an app that rounds up, you know, and shows you how much you spend in that certain store every single month. I think it's really important for everyone to be be as accountable to yourself as possible. And so I guess even more so when you have someone else to be accountable for as well, I guess. Yeah, small because small people <laughs> cost so much money. I didn't even realise that that was a thing. I didn't know, like, banking digitally was an act. But yeah, when I had no money, I looked at my bank accounts all the time. I downloaded those apps straight away. I was like, I need to know to the pence how much I have, how much potentially will come in, how much has gone out. So would you be comfortable then using an app that I guess took all your banking data and was like a dashboard of all your bank accounts all within one app? Would you not be cool with that or would you want uh, that? I'd be cool with that and I would want that. It's mad that we have to check so many different platforms to get an overview of our finances. So yeah. It would be cool if there was somewhere I could see all of the different accounts, what was coming in and what was going out, but I couldn't access it from that dashboard. So it would just have the names of the banks and the figures. But then I still had to log into each specific app or go to each specific bank to have access to the finances. Now, recently, I've started spending in cash a lot more because I smart bank. Does 
So because I digitally bank, if I'm not digitally banking, I'm usually spending cash and I spend a lot, 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 lot less than I potentially could because it's really easy when you use contactless payments. It's just your fingerprint. Like you don't even have to touch the money. When I'm touching a £20 note, I'm like, oh my well, That's gosh. the other thing that banks do is that they make it really easy for you to spend money. So like you said, contactless, you know, you, it's all of our transactions are so frictionless these days. And I think if you can put a little bit of friction in between you and spending money, so like I said, removing cookies on the computer, just kind of taking a moment at, before you go to a till and going, do I need to buy this? Do me and my child need this? But that's because, what else um, could this money go? Because my daughter has a little cash register at home and it comes with fake money, she wants to see money. She used to ask me, can she pay? And she would like... Like, I really want to pay, I really want to pay. And I had no cash for her. And I'd be like, oh, like it's on my finger. And I remember one day, because she, she's so young, it's very um, literal, her understanding of the world at the moment. So she said, the money's in your finger. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's not. I have to put my finger on my phone. So she said, the money's in your phone. So then I found myself thinking about it. And I was like, wow, like I haven't touched money in about six weeks. <laughs> but I have bought a lot of things in that time. And so now I let her pay but in order to let her pay I have to have money to give her and then I just it just makes me reassess my whole financial structure a lot differently and then do you think letting her pay is there kind of like a conversation or is there subliminally something about uh, explaining the value of money yeah really really basically I used to give her brown money so coppers like two pences and one pences um and then one day she was kicking off about not having a two pence and I'd given her a five pence instead. And I said, listen, this is smaller, but it's of, of more value. And so she's really young and she's but she's starting to understand like the way that money looks and what it means. And I'm, I'm hoping by the time she's old enough to have a conversation like this, she has a good understanding of what finances can do for you and financial freedom as well. And I think that starts from a young age and also because I grew up in a socioeconomic environment where not a lot of people had stable incomes or consistent incomes, even if it was a little bit of money and they didn't budget, we didn't talk about those kind of things. I think it made the way that I felt about money very detached and very distant and a little bit fearful. And so I'm hoping that even if we don't have bucket loads of money, we have enough and she understands how to respect it because you can make it grow. Like, Literally, you can make money grow if you know what to do with it and where to put it. But to have access to those conversations in like what your question originally, you know, about banks, usually to have access to those conversations, you already have to have a certain amount. They don't approach you about a credit card until you've got X amount coming into your bank account. If you never have that money coming into your bank account, you might never understand what a credit card does and what that does to your credit rating. And you might never understand what your credit rating does if you want to buy a house because you never think that you could even get to that point. Isn't it unfortunate how many people don't think they should be having money conversations. They don't think they're part of them. I mean, I've had two now and <laughs> I find them very uncomfortable, but I find them very insightful. Yeah. Yeah. And you I learn. feel like I'm learning a lot as well. And Alex, if you were to think about how you would speak to your to your boy about money and how do you want to speak to him about money? I talk to, I mean, I talk about money yeah, to him just, quite a lot. Yeah, yeah it's your job. Uh, but what I'm trying to explain to him is that it's, it's, it's not finite. Like money, or it is rather, I'm trying to explain to him that money is finite. It's not ever, never ending. And I'm talking to him a lot about kind of prioritising and choices. So if you have that magazine... 
you're not going to have you can't have an ice cream as well you know it's one or the other um and this idea that yeah we have to make choices with our money that's basically the basics of budgeting and then making choices for your children as well in terms of like do you have ices for them do you know do your children have ices we both have ices for our kids don't <laughs> yeah. we yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. feeling pretty smug about that no no <laughs> revel I, in it i um i just didn't want my kid to ever be poor yeah I, I am of the generation that will probably never own homes in the city unless they earn a lot of money. And, you know, so I just thought, well, if the world keeps going the way it is, I should have better bank something for this girl because her generation will be in a much worse position than mine are. Things could change, but, you know, I like to deal with things in a literal sense. And literally, my generation don't have the financial opportunities and sustainability in the world at the moment in all areas including finances is not sustainable if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so I hope that by me making sure that she has something now by the time she's old enough to make some choices she has the opportunity to make a choice as well and I think I think sometimes money is opportunity as well I used to presume that like I was bad with money so therefore I just never saved and I thought I'd get to this point in adulthood where I I would suddenly have money and become that person that saved. And I realised that's not like an overnight thing. To save money, you just have to save one pound and then you save the next pound and then you save the next pound. And so I think for everyone that's listening that's almost going, well, I just don't have any money ever at the end of the month, so I can't save anything. Even if you can save like two pounds a month, it does build up and it does add up. And it's definitely worth putting that away for your kid because when they're 18, that will be a few thousand pounds, a couple of pounds a month. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what? Listening to you both talk, hearing your stories, hearing how so many of it weaves together, but then you know anybody listening can relate to both of you. It's been really insightful. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your expertise. Um, I think your children are going to grow up to be wonderful <laughs> citizens of society. And um, thank you so much, Alex and Remy, for joining me on the Future Proof Podcast. The Future Proof Podcast. All views, opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are intended as impartial guidance only. Without giving specific advice on what you should do based on your personal circumstances, Bud is responsible for the accuracy and quality of the information it provides, but not for any decisions you make based on it.